Good morning, church. Our reading for today is taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 12 to 30. If you're holding our church Bible, you can find it in pages 951. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chain for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage to sh- so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between two, the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of God. Thank you, Celine. Uh, if you can't have your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and on, uh, we've got new church Bibles uh, that's been updated. Uh, we've been using 1984 version, now it's 2011. Um, so please do take it out um, and let's pray that God will speak to us through these words. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks um, for 
giving us the good news of Jesus Christ that gives us life, that gives us joy of being with you, that, that gives us the hope of a new world that is coming, that gives us the Holy Spirit uh, who is at work in us, deposit guaranteeing what's to come. Lord, all these have been given freely by your grace. And Lord, help us to now speak, uh, speak to us now that we might live our lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. David Livingstone was a bit of a celebrity in his days as he worked as a missionary, a pioneer, um, and an explorer, anti-slavery activist. Uh, after a lifetime of service, he came back in the middle and uh, he uh, gave a lecture to the students in Cambridge Univers University. And he talked about his life in this way. For my own part, I've never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I've made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice, which simply paid back as a small part of a great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? Is it sacrifice, which brings its own blessed reward and helpful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought, it is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. I've never made a sacrifice. And it's not just David Livingston. Our church is filled with missionaries who've given up their different, part, different life to uh, life as an accountant and a doctor, teacher, policeman, among other things, in order to serve God as missionaries. And I'm sure many of them would say the, exactly the same, that I've never made a sacrifice. And if you read the letter to the Philippians, that's the impression that you get. Uh, Paul is never making a sacrifice. In fact, he'll say it in much stronger words in chapter 3. You know these words. That he'll say that everything, he will consider everything rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord. He's not making any sacrifices. And isn't it strange to think of having that, such, that sort of joy? He's not gone crazy in prison. There's such joy in him. And he does tell us why he's joyful. He tells us he's joyful because, verse 12, what has happened to him in the past has served to advance the gospel. When he was uh, uh, captured, well, when, when he was imprisoned and he was put into these prison cells, um, he had a chance to share the gospel with all the guards. The whole palace guard came to know Jesus Christ, and that's the, the, the story of Christ, verse 13. It reminded me of, I don't know, uh, many of you came to Kenneth Bay uh, testimony. Kenneth Bay was the uh, one who spent um, years in, in North Korea. He came to our church to speak, and I remember him saying exactly the same thing. He was captured, he was imprisoned, and he said, there, those guards heard the gospel. They all knew who he was. They all knew why he was there. How else would the gospel actually have gone out to North Korea in any capacity unless he had been captured, unless he was in prison? Paul's witness in prison not only uh, allowed the guards to hear the gospel, it actually encouraged the church in Rome um, to spread the gospel. It emboldened the church as well in verse 14. He says, because my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. His boldness was infectious and it caught the church in Rome. 
His, his fellow uh, Christians were proclaiming the gospel. There are even more reasons to rejoice. We're told in verses 15 to 19 that there were some preachers who were stirring up trouble against Paul, some who preached the gospel out of envy to gain power over Paul as he's imprisoned, out of personal ambition. I wonder if it would surprise you that this is actually something that I have to fight against constantly, uh, preaching the gospel out of personal ambition to build to, against envy of more successful pastors. I fight against it. I hide it. But the line that I draw is actually I try not to say anything negative about other pastors. But some were doing exactly that against Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. They were challenging his apostolic authority because of their envy and ambition. But instead of anger, look how Paul responds. Verse 18, why does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached. He rejoices. How is he able to rejoice? Well, it's because his personal ambition, his concern, his goal, his purpose is crystal clear. He doesn't live for comfort. He doesn't live to build a ministry. He doesn't live to have a, person, a personal ambition. He doesn't want to be known as the great Apostle Paul. He's joyful because the thing that he's concerned about is the advancement of the gospel, is the building up of the church. And wherever he looks around, he sees that happening everywhere. And he says, I can rejoice in that. Friends, is this why we live? Is this why you live? The concern of the gospel-centered people is to let Jesus Christ be magnified, exalted, as he says in verse 20. It's literally make Jesus Christ be greater through every part of our lives, through life and death. Everything that we do ought to magnify Jesus. And if you think, well... That's a bit too crazy. That just seems like a bit of a, a too fanatic, too crazy. I'm a Christian, but I'm not a crazy Christian. I want just enough gospel to make me feel secure, to have a sense of belonging, to secure a better future for my uh, children, to have uh, the sense uh, someone's watching over me, to have forgiveness. But I don't want the gospel that transforms me. To, that changes my reason for living, my daily habits, how I spend my time and money and energy, how my, I raise my children. Friends, if you want just a little bit of the gospel, if that's what you want, you don't know the gospel yet. You don't know what it means to have Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord over your life yet. The gospel is such good news that it makes us want to follow Jesus Christ. We want to leave everything and want to follow him in everything that we do. That's the gospel. And of course, none of us can do this completely. I struggle with it. I'm sure many of you do as well. But I know that people in this church are doing it. They're striving to do it. I, wasn't it encouraging? I'm sorry that this comes up again and again, Alan. <laughs> that at Andis' funeral... Everybody spoke about what Andis was passionate about. It was about Jesus. He, she wanted everybody to know Christ. And that was evident by everyone who spoke about Andis. 
I was there at Rebecca and Samson's wedding as well. I don't know if you were there. Um, I, I, I'm a pastor, and I thought, wow, there's just so much Jesus in this marriage. <laughs> Every time they spoke, it was about Christ. The whole thing was like an evangelistic event, all right? Uh, they wanted their wedding to be about Christ, and as they want their marriage uh, to be about Christ. It was also encouraging that so many of you volunteered in the Christmas Bazaar, uh, brought your friends, gave up your time, and, and, and volunteered to make that such a success because you are concerned about the gospel. But we could still learn more from Paul and from the church in Philippi, how they partnered together as partners, as fellowship of the gospel. And there's no reason why Shatan Anglican Church can't be more like the church in Philippi. So in prison, Paul says, I want to magnify Christ. I, when people look at me, I want people to see Christ in details. He famously writes in verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I think the second part of this uh, is clearer than the first. Uh, for me to die is gain. To die is gain because as he explains in verse 23, that I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Literally, it's which is best by far. Uh, death is a final enemy for many people, right? Because it robs people of everything that they've worked for. Their work, their family, fame, status, material goods, friends, it's the final enemy. But for Paul and for the Christian, not so. There's no woe is me that I am dying. Death for him is by far the best choice because for the Christian, death isn't the end. When he dies, he knows that he will see Christ, his maker, uh, face to face. He will be with his loving maker who created him and died for him. He knows that his work, his fruit will be there. Uh, it will be there and it will continue for in the new creation. It's not the end. So he wishes to be with Christ, he says in verse 23. Well, what does it mean to be, uh, to, to live, uh, to, to say to live is Christ? Well, partly, I think it means what he said before in verse 20, that he wants Christ to be exalted, magnified throughout his life, through his life. You know, mag magnifying glass makes everything look bigger. It, it, it gives you the details that you couldn't see before. He wants his life to show the grace of Christ the love of Christ, the holiness and righteousness of Christ. But this also means that if he wants to do that, he will have to continue to work, continue to suffer, which is why in verse 22 he says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Many people, if they're in Hong Kong for a few years, live not for fruitful labor, but to rest to go on holidays. Uh, rest, the Sabbath is what they're looking for. Uh, rest is what they're looking for. For Paul, to live is to continue to labor for Christ, in the name of Christ, for the cause of Christ. Both are great choices, but he's torn between the two. But look at what he says he should do, what he wants to do, what he chooses to do. Because the reason why he chooses, I think it's something that we all need to hear. Verses 24 and 25. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. 
convinced of this. I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. He'd rather die and be with Christ, but he says, I, it's more necessary for me to be with you. For he chooses to accept the gospel labor, even if it means toiling and suffering and persevering so that the church could be built up. The gospel-minded chooses what is best for the gospel rather than for himself. He chooses fruitful labor than holidays. Is that how we make our choices? What we choose betray our values, what we really value. How do you choose which school to send your uh, children, who to get married to, when to stop working, which job to take, whether to stay in Hong Kong or to leave it? Last year, CUHK did a survey which found that astonishingly 57% of uh, uh, people under 30 want to leave Hong Kong if they get a chance. 57% and 40% of all Hong Hong Kongers Kongers responded that, that they would leave if they had a chance. And I'm sure many of you feel the same. But, and I understand the frustration of being in Hong Kong and the challenges of being in Hong Kong, but I wonder if you've ever asked, is this good for the gospel? Is this good for this city? What is best for Jesus Christ and for, the, for his kingdom? I think about this time to time. Uh, many of you know, actually, that... Um, I, uh, I've never, I've been a wanderer all my life. I've never lived in a, a place for more than six years in my life uh, until I came to Hong Kong. This is my seventh year. Uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, I, mean, I do think about going back to the U.S. or going back to school or something like that. But then I ask myself, well, what's, what's, what's best for the gospel? What would be best for the gospel? Because I want to do that. I want to live for that. Because I want Christ to be exalted. I want Christians to continue to progress in their joy and their faith so that they could be built up, so they could boast in Christ alone. We make our choices based on money, prestige, comfort, even weather. And they betray our values. They show what we really love, what we really value. Do we value the gospel? You know, we have to think about this when we make big choices, but small choices as well. There are all sorts of small choices we can make every day with gospel in mind. Uh, it's hard in Hong Kong. Work 10 hours a, a day, and, and you think, I want to come back. I just want to be alone by myself. Would you choose to meet somebody to encourage them in their walk with Christ? Read the Bible with them. Rather than eating with your family alone, would you open up your homes and invite somebody from the church, a non-Christian who are exploring, invite them into your homes and and share a meal with them? Would you choose to advance the gospel, to build up your brothers and sisters in Christ? Karl Marx said that the uh, religions are opiums of the masses. It's something that makes them feel good, something that makes them stay where they are, something that placates them. Christianity is not that. Christians take on extra suffering, don't we? In order to exalt Christ, we give up money that others keep for themselves. 
Uh, for some, it means giving up their career. Uh, some uh, settling for less success. Uh, some go on mission trips in their holidays rather than exotic destinations. Many give up comfort uh, as they uh, decide to plant the church, to spread the gospel, to work among the poor, simply to invite people into our lives. Will you choose to advance the gospel? Our choices betray our values and our idols but they're not worthy of comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord. Paul writes, so Paul writes in verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's literally, uh, literally, let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul's choosing his words carefully because he's writing to the church in Philippi. And Philippi was a Roman colony, which meant that actually the citizens of Philippi were reckoned as citizens of Rome. A commentator writes that their names were on the rolls rolls at Rome. Their legal position and privileges uh, were those of Rome itself. They were a homeland in a miniature. And again, this colonial status, as you might know if you, if you know history, as uh, Mark Antony and Octavian confronted the assassins of Caesar, uh, Caesar, Marcus Brutus and Gaius Longinus, in Battle of Philippi. And after that battle was won, uh, he freed them some, some soldiers uh, and to colonize Philippi and make that into a, a Roman colony, a miniature Rome, to honor them. So people were proud Uh, to be in Philippi because they were Roman citizens. Let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul's not talking about Rome, is he? He's reminding us that we have, even as they prize their Roman citizenship, that they have a greater citizenship that they were a colony of God's kingdom in Philippi, that they were citizens of the kingdom of God. And that price for that citizenship wasn't won by a battle between, uh, between men. They were given this privilege freely because of what Jesus has done for them. He lived and died, rose again, defeating death so that we might receive uh, that eternal life from him. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of your citizenship of the gospel of Christ. What that means, he says, is we ought to stand firm. Stand firm, verse 27, in one spirit. The NIV inserts in the spirit, um, but that is an insertion, uh, editorial choice, not in the original Greek. I think he's just pleading for them to be one. Be one mind. Be of one mind. Uh, uh, Let go of your personal ambitions, uh, personal desires, and and be united in Christ. He then exhorts the church, verse 27, to strive together. We have a common mission. Mission. We ought to do this together. We're all trying to do this, right, in our workplaces, in our family, in our uh, uh, various networks. We are here as one to be a support to each other, to have a common mission together, to carry this mission out together. And then he adds that we shouldn't be frightened 
by what might come, the opposition that might come, that we ought to even suffer for the gospel. Christ demanded his disciples to count the cost, and he's doing exactly the same. There's a cost of being involved, being a Christian. Some of the cost will be self-inflicted as we give up our comforts and all these things. Some of it will be others-inflicted. People making fun of you, thinking badly of you, holding back promotions because of your faith. It will not always happen, of course, but are you ready if it happens? David Livingston, once again, told his audience in Cambridge, I've never made a sacrifice. He lived his life in that way, not because he had to, but because he wanted to, because he was transformed by the greatness of the gospel, the grace of Christ. It became such good news that he wanted to devote all of his life doing this, all of his life, and nothing felt like sacrifice as long as he got to do that work. But Livingston, the Philippian church, and many of us here, we, we make conscious choices, don't we? Conscious choices not to live for ourselves, but live for the gospel. And don't we want then our life to be worthy of our citizenship, worthy of the Savior who gave his life for us? Not to repay him as if we could, but because we want to honor him, because we want to glorify him, because we want others to see his greatness through us. To live is Christ. To die is gain. May that be a confession for all of us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your son. We thank you for what he has done for us. We thank you that through him we are citizens of your kingdom, that we are your people who have a future, who have a hope, who have this joy of knowing you. Lord, we want you to be magnified through our lives. We want others to come to know your greatness through the way that we live. Help us to choose rightly. Help us to be so moved and be transformed by the gospel that we might also join in with Paul and say to live is Christ and to die is gain. In Jesus' name, amen.